Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. Our first episode for 2022 and we're already up to our 10th episode. We're lucky once again to be joined by a regular guest on the show, David Cassidy. For those not familiar with David's background, David joined Wilson's back in 2020 as head of investment strategy group. He is responsible for overseeing the development of Wilson's global and domestic investment strategy, including asset allocation, equity portfolio strategy, and the selection of external fund managers across all the asset classes to guide our model portfolios. Prior to joining Wilson's, David was a managing director and head of investment strategy at UBS Australia, where he provided research and advice on the equity strategy, asset allocation strategy, portfolio construction, and portfolio risk management. David, welcome back to the Invest at Best podcast. Thank you, Ted. Very pleased to be here once again. Okay, well, we're lucky to have you on. Uh, let's jump straight into it. Is it. There's a fair bit to discuss. Uh, it's only been a couple of months since we last spoke back in December, but during this very short period, the, the market has had a solid pullback. Let's, so let's start off with this. David, what was the catalyst for this to happen? Well, I think there's a couple of ways to look at it, Ted. I think in the first instance, the immediate catalyst for this pullback was the more hawkish shift in the Fed's thinking around monetary policy and interest rates. The Fed does seem to be, I guess, increasingly concerned with the inflation outlook or perhaps just the existence of highly stimulatory monetary policy at a time when inflation is bubbling away in the background. So the Fed has guided to a faster pace of tightening or a faster withdrawal of very easy monetary policy um, in terms of moving from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. So that, I guess, faster pace of uh, lifting Cash rates and faster withdrawal of QE stimulus has, has, you know, understandably made the market a little bit skittish in January. And this is all after a pretty good run of 12 months for, for equities. Do you think that this is possibly maybe an overdue correction or perhaps the start of maybe a longer bear market? Yes, well, that, that is the other aspect to the correction, as you point out, the correction was well and truly overdue in a statistical context or an historical context. It had been a long time since we'd seen anything even close to a 10% correction in in the US stock market and and the Australian stock market. We just didn't see that in 2021 or the second half of uh, 2020. So correction was overdue. As I said, the, the Fed's hawkish policy pivot was the catalyst, but we tend to see this as an overdue correction. Um, 
we don't think it's the front end of anything more sinister at this stage, uh, but obviously we're watching things pretty closely. But um, yeah, I, I think you know, markets were looking for a correct, a correct an excuse to correct, and I think they found it in you know, some of the, the, the Fed's rhetoric. Okay, and and the market's view of this hawkish pol- policy pivot, as as you mentioned there, what is the you know the market broadly pricing in for the Fed to do this year? Yeah, you know, it looks like the market, in terms of the interest rate markets, are now expecting basically five rate rises from the Fed of you know, twenty five basis points. So uh, I guess technically the Fed funds rate at the moment, the cash rate is 12.5 basis points. So that would take the Fed's fund rate up to it's called 130 or 140 basis points by year end, which is not a, a particularly tight policy stance by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a, it's a, a decent size move. And I guess there are concerns that the Fed could even do more. Uh, the Fed has seven more meetings this year. Basically, it meets every six weeks. So theoretically, uh, the Fed could go seven times. So that would be, um, I guess, a more concern to the market. But uh, at the moment, the official guidance from the Fed is is only three rate hikes. That's a little bit stale. The Fed's due to update that at the mid-March meeting. So it's likely that the Fed will move to either validate the market's expectations of five rate hikes or come in at four. But uh, either way, I don't think that's a disaster for, for the stock market or the bond market. But you know, when there's this shift going on in Fed's thinking, the market is understandably uh, a little bit edgy. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And as we shift our attention from interest rates into companies and get a bit more micro, we're now also seeing out over the last month or two, some of the, the big US tech stocks have big swings uh, in their valuation. Um, let's let's explore to some of them. So the share prices of Snap really rollercoasted recently, diving 24% uh, on last Thursday. Uh, I think this was due to Meta or Facebook's weak performance, which was out about then. But then it really rocketed up more than 64% uh, the next day after releasing its um, impressive results. David, are we seeing similar share price movements in Australia? And and how to, well, I might ask another question there. And how do Australian stocks look right now relative to, say, US stocks? Well, obviously, Australia doesn't have the same size tech sector in, in terms of percentage of the market. It's much smaller, whereas tech these days absolutely dominates the US stock market. It's much shorter, smaller in the case of Australia. We have seen a lot of downward pressure on Aussie tech names. Indeed, the Aussie tech index is actually down more this year than the, the US tech index. You've, you've still got these big you know, US tech mega caps um, off a little bit, but they're, they're holding up much better. You know, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Apples, the Alphabets, they're, they're, they're still hanging in there, partly because they've once again delivered extraordinarily strong earnings in the recent US earnings season. So it's really that next tier down and the third and fourth tiers that have been under pressure um, to a more significant extent. And the, the Australian tech index tends to trade more of those sort of second line, third, third line US tech stocks as opposed to the, you know, the big cash flow generative, you know, US tech mega caps that are holding up much better. 
Okay, well, before we move on from um, the US tech companies, there's a couple of things that I want to mention there that I recently read. One that gives you an idea of the size of, you know, the likes of Amazon. I think Amazon now employs one in 157 Americans. And the other thing that I want to speak about is uh, interesting that Meta, which is investing um, billions into the future being virtual, still they still want people coming into the office, uh, even though we're in a pandemic and many people are happy to uh, for employees to work from home. So I, I thought that those were two fascinating points. Now, um, Dave, we've spoken a fair bit about the US and understandably so much of the financial world rightly focuses in on what's happening in the US. But what about the Chinese economy the last few weeks? Aside from, you know, let's hit the Winter Olympics, which is also happening over there and many different views about the Olympics over there right now. From an economic point of view, what's been playing out the last month or two? Yeah, well, there's no doubt the Chinese economy slowed down a lot in 2021, particularly the second half of the year. Um, started off on a pretty strong footing, but um, growth eased you know, quite a bit um, in the second half of the year. And I think we're still seeing the, the proof of that in terms of the uh, you know, the numbers coming out of China in respect of either you know, the fourth quarter or even the January numbers. They're always a little bit difficult to interpret in China. So there's been quite a decent slowdown. Um, on the more positive side of the ledger, ledger from a market perspective, you've also seen pretty clear indications over the last month or two that the Chinese authorities are now in easing mode. They're doing really the opposite to what the Fed's doing in that they're loosening monetary policy in terms of interest rates and liquidity, uh, trying to stimulate growth. So it's a quite an interesting dynamic that um, you know, China is uh, trying to speed things up, whereas the US and much of the rest of the world is trying to slow things down. So that's uh, going to be an interesting one. Um, China is still trying to balance that sort of near-term control of the business cycle, and particularly you know, the, the growth outlook for 2022 with longer you know, multi-year, multi-decade objective, objectives around making growth more equal, uh, making you know the, the benefits of growth uh, spread across the whole economy. Um, try to get people a, a little bit less obsessed with investment in housing and house prices, and also you know trying to tackle climate change like uh, most other economies. So it's a complex balancing act, but I think what the market is starting to focus on is this this recent shifting policy from trying to rein the economy in to trying to stimulate the economy at the margins. Very interesting. Um, David, you mentioned interest rates a, f- a few times there. And on the topic of interest rates, an inverse yield curve has usually been an accurate indicator of a potential upcoming recession. What's the yield curve saying right now about how it's predicting rates to behave looking into the future? Yeah, well, Ted, I think you're, you're talking there about um, its track record and forecasting recessions for the US economy over the last 40 or 50 years, yeah. it has been pretty good. And we're, I guess, typically focused on the two-year bond versus the 10-year bond. So when the, the two-year bond yield goes above the 10-year bond yield, uh, that signals an inverse yield curve. Um, we still don't have that or we're not really close to that. The yield curve has flattened a bit in the last uh, three months in that two-year yields are rising faster than 10-year yields. So it has flattened, but it's still got quite a decent slope to it. So uh, two-year yields are about 1.3, but 10 years are 1.9 and a bit. So the yield curve is still positively sloped. So that's still giving a positive signal on growth. 
And particularly, it's important to note that the 10-year yield is still rising. So two-year yields are rising a bit faster because it's more influenced by expectations of what the Fed's going to do on the cash rate. But the 10-year yield is moving up. So it's showing you that people are still bullish on long-term growth to a degree. So at the moment, while we've got a watching brief on it, yield curve still positive, still saying uh, no, no recession on the horizon uh, for the US economy over the next you know, 12 months or so. Um, so that that's, you know, to my perspective, a positive um, to, to take away. Okay. Now let's um, let's move across to employment. You actually mentioned a, a stat in a morning meeting that I found fascinating. And that was, uh, we went into the pandemic here in Australia and the unemployment rate was about 5.2%. Now, um, as we know, education, one of the biggest industries uh, in Australia, you know, well, that industry gets hit hard. So to the uh, the tourism industry, hospitality, events, and, and many others. So considering this, and we're in the pandemic, and unemployment is down to 4.2%. David, what's this down to? Yeah, it is quite an extraordinary performance, Ted, from the Australian economy over the last uh, 18 months to, t- to two years. Um, I think it's down to a number of things. I think uh, there was you know, plenty of stimulus put into the economy uh, over 2020, 2021 in terms of fiscal stimulus and monetary policy stimulus. So the economy's actually grown. It's been bumpy, but the economy's grown at a pretty fast clip over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, I, I think that the JobKeeper scheme, you can argue about whether it was too generous at the end of the day, but it did keep people connected to their employer. So um people came back to work you know very quickly um from the second half of 2020 and i think the other thing is that a lot of foreign workers have disappeared from you know the potential labor pool over the last couple of years which has also contributed to keeping the labor market pretty tight so i think that you know mixture of policy in terms of job keeper policy stimulus and the different dynamics around uh foreign workers have all combined to to, to make for a, you know, a very tight labour market. Perhaps hours worked uh, and not showing the labour market. It's quite as strong as the baseline unemployment rate, but it's still, I think, a pretty good performance to have a low falls unemployment uh, after grinding through a pandemic for a, a couple of years. Okay. Um, for this episode, we've discussed equities, both Australian and international, um, interest rates, employment, what's happening over in the US and China. Now, let's put it all together this year has started out with a level of volatility. Um, if we look beyond that, what's your thoughts on how the rest of the year may play out? Yeah, well, I think we need to expect more volatility, Ted, as, as a central case. I think that's part and part of, of markets. And perhaps we got a little bit spoiled with what we saw, particularly last year, in terms of the you know, virtual one-way ride for, for shares through uh, last year. You know, I think there are some very interesting things going on in terms of U.S. inflation and the global inflation and trying to withdraw very stimulatory monetary policy from, from the system. So I think it is uh, going to create more volatility. I mean, as we record this podcast, we're still a day away from the next U.S. inflation reading, which is probably going to be pretty big, as as we've seen recently. We expect another you know, quite high inflation reading. So Was the last one 7%? Yeah, 7% headline. We think this one is probably going to be a little bit higher than that. So we're dealing with some pretty big numbers. 
Now, we think inflation should come down over the course of the year, um, but probably not right at the moment. So that could create some more nervousness around markets. Um, but net-net, we do think inflation comes off quite a bit over the balance of the year, which should be supportive for equities. We still see good growth, both from a US perspective, an Australian perspective, and indeed a global perspective. So that growth outlook should be supportive for stocks. And the relief on inflation, it won't mean rates won't go up. Rates will go up, uh, particularly in the US, but I think not at a sufficiently nasty pace to really you know, kill off the the upward trend in stocks. So I expect less spectacular returns. I expect more volatile returns and, and possibly the next few months could be tricky. But I, I still think stocks look in a reasonable position to, to post positive returns over, over the coming year, both particularly the Australian shares and possibly rest of the world shares. US, I think, probably spends a little bit of time lagging after you know, a very strong run out in front of most other markets. But I, I don't think the US market is going to get into major trouble as, as a central case. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on on that. Now, um, as always, we normally wrap it up with some recommendations. So Dave, I'm interested. Uh, has anything caught your attention over, over summer so far, what you've been reading, listening to, possibly even a place you've been to? Yeah, well, I think probably the the locals or the people who are trying to keep it a secret will, won't, won't like it, but I, I really enjoyed going to Seal Rocks and the mid-north coast of New South Wales in January, just south of Fossa. That was a lovely little place. So I think that's a, a great place to visit. Very quiet, just really one little general s- store and a couple of beaches, but very nice um, place to uh, take a, a getaway. So recommend recommend that one. Um, haven't been watching too much TV um, over the last little while, so I'll leave that to you to make a re- recommendation on on that side. But certainly, yeah, that mid north coast of New South Wales is a great spot, and yeah, Silver Rocks was just a bit of an undiscovered gem, I think. Well, having lived in Sydney for for twelve years, and I've I, I moved back to Melbourne, I, I do regret n- never um, getting up to Silver Rocks because it does look like an incredible place. There is a it's a Hollywood movie that uh, I can't remember the name of right now. Naomi Watts and a, a few other famous actors were in it that was filmed up at Seal Rock. So I'm sure that that's, that's kind of got the word out there about Seal Rocks. But Dave, no, mine's not a TV show. I, um, okay. I recommend that. Mine is actually a, um, it's a book that I've only only just started reading, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's, um, it's called The Power of, Power of Regret by um, Daniel Pink. Now, this is relevant for uh, all parts of life, including investing. So I thought I might share it on here and it's natural to us for us to experience some regret, even if we are diversified and that we uh, we wished that we put maybe a few more eggs in some of those baskets that have gone up. David, thanks once again for joining us on the Invest at Best podcast. Thank you, Ted. It's been great being on the show as always. Okay, be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you enjoyed these, we would appreciate it if you gave it a rating. So if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or another platform, please drop us a rating. We really appreciate it. David, thanks very much for joining. My name's Ted Richards. See you next time on the Invest at Best podcast. 
This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.